0: So good to be with you, church. Over the last seven weeks, it's been incredible. Something like 30 different elders of our church, some of the most godly and faithful men that I know personally has led our six congregations in the preaching of God's word, specifically through a psalm that God has made personally meaningful in their lives. There's nothing quite like 30 different preachers to show, to reveal what our church is united about, right? What unites us as a church, God's word. And starting next week, we'll be in a five-week vision series we're calling Joyfully Devoted. It's what we believe that our God is calling us to be, to do for the next seven years in the life of our church, and so you won't want to miss those weeks. But for one more week, as the summer draws to a close, though it doesn't feel like it at all, right? Um, maybe we could just declare in faith today the end of summer. Um, we're going to look at one more psalm together as we conclude our summer in the Psalms. There's a psalm that God has personally, in my life, used over and over again. There's so many difficult and painful seasons in my life, including my mom passing away from cancer so many years ago to most recently having a stroke and losing my vision and through all the depression and the panic attacks that would follow, God has used Psalm 42, Psalm 42 in my life as an anchor, one of those anchor texts, you know what I'm talking about? To not let me go, but to bring me back to himself over and over again. Let me share with you Psalm 42, let's read the first five verses together. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Have you ever gone through something, church, or maybe some of you are going through it right now? Something that can only be described as your soul being cast down and your soul being in turmoil within you. Psalm 42 is about such times. Psalm 42 is about such a condition and how to navigate through it. What is a downcast soul? What does a soul in despair look like? The psalmist gives us a metaphor. He says it's like a deer panting for water, he says. But we have to understand that the given metaphor is not about a deer that's slightly parched because it went for a light jog in the morning. It's a picture of a deer that's dying. It's a picture of a deer that's, going to, that's been going to the same water brook, that has been going to for its whole life, only to find that the famine has run its course and that the water brook has completely run dry. There's no more water. When the psalmist says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God, the psalmist isn't merrily singing, oh, how I long for you, God, but is desperately and hopelessly crying, where are you, God? I'm dying here, God. I'm thirsting for you, God. Hunger is a longing that's difficult, but you can put off for a while. Humans can live for days and even weeks without food, but thirst Charles Spurgeon said, surely the psalmist chose the metaphor of thirst for this reason because you cannot reason with it. Thirst has no ears. You cannot forget it. You must satisfy it or you will die. The psalmist has lost something. What has he lost? He's lost God's face. When the psalmist says, when shall I come and appear before God, he's saying he's lost the intimacy of meeting with God. He has lost the taste and the feel and the sight of God in his soul. The things that used to stir him, the things that used to make his soul glad, they no longer resonate. He has lost the sense of God. He hasn't lost his belief in God, as we're going to see later but he's lost the feel of God in his soul. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been there? And so let's look at some of the potential reasons, potential reasons for why we go through such times, such times of turmoil and despair and hopelessness, and then answer how, how we can fight our way into hoping in God once again. Why and how? First the why. We see the psalmist ask in verse five and then ask again in verse 11, this question. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? When we're going through such a time and a season, the question why is a legitimate question to ask. Why am I going through this? Why am I feeling this way? And biblically, we know some possible reasons for the why. First, potential reason. First, potential reason is because of sin. When the psalmist asks, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Who is he questioning? Who is he questioning? He's questioning himself, right? The psalmist is at minimum doing self-examination here. He's looking at his own life and asking, is there an obvious explanation for why I'm feeling this way? Is there a clear-cut reason for why I've lost my hope and no longer sense God's presence in my life? Commonly in other psalms, where a person is going through something like this, it's because of their sin. In Psalm 32, for example, look at the way that David is speaking about his sin. Psalm 32, verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, right? So this is the thing that he's been keeping silent. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David is saying in Psalm 32 that he's groaning day and night, and that his strength is all dried up as by the heat of summer. Doesn't that sound awfully similar to the psalmist saying in Psalm 42? My soul is panting with thirst, and my tears have been my food day and night. And what's the reason that David in Psalm 32 gives for the why? Why he's groaning all day long, why his strength is all dried up, why he's in such despair? Because of sin in his life, he says. David is going through what he's going through because there's a particular sin in his life that he's keeping silent about, a specific sin that he's not confessed and he's refusing to repent from. And so this may very well be the case for some of us. The reason why your soul may be downcast right now, the reason why you're in despair right now and you can't remember the last time you felt the joy of being in God's presence, may be, it may be because there's a particular sin in your life that you've been keeping silent, covering up, refusing to bring into the light. And if that's the case, what do we need to do? What did David do? Verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And then what happened? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God dealt with it. Listen, if you're here and you too find that you're wasting away, you feel like you're wasting away and that your strength is dried up and you know it right now, you know it. It's because of a specific unrepentant sin in your life. The solution, the solution is really simple. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done, but nevertheless, The solution is simple. It's for you to acknowledge your sin to God like David did, saying, God, I know I've sinned against you. I know what it cost your son to forgive my sin. I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me and help me to turn my way back to you? And this is God's promise to you. Because of the gospel, Because of the good news that Jesus died and paid for your sins, you will then experience his grace in forgiving you and your soul will be lifted up. There is a suffering that is inevitable and even required of the Christian that is following Jesus in this world. But listen, there's also a suffering. There's a depression, a downcast soul, that we needlessly suffer in this world, that we needlessly suffer in our lives because we're keeping silent about our sins. And that kind of suffering, that kind of despair can end today. Some of you, a downcast soul, a despair, a hopelessness that you're going through today, and if it's because of a sin that you're covering up in your life, that kind of suffering can end today. It could end today if you would just go to Him in confession and in repentance. And so sometimes and many times we can experience a spiritual depression, a downcast, desperate hopelessness in our soul because of hidden and unrepentant sin in our lives. But, but that's not the case in Psalm 42. That was the case in Psalm 32. That's not the case in Psalm 42. There's no particular sin that's listed in Psalm 42. There is no confession of sin. There is no, I'm so sorry, God, will you please forgive me? And then everything getting better. Psalm 42 is showing us that while, yes, spiritual depression can happen because of some unrepentant sin in our lives, but it can also happen without it. Here's the reality that we almost never talk about in church, that sometimes, sometimes in our lives, God just lets us go through times of sadness and despair without giving us all the whys and hows of his will and purpose for them. Sometimes he just lets you go through it. It's like when you're Teaching your child how to swim for the first time. When I was teaching my son Malachi how to sw- swim for the first time, my hand would be just right there, just half an inch underneath his arms. I was there, but he didn't feel that I was there, right? And so he would flail and kick and give me the look of, Did you bring me out here to kill me? look on his face, right? My son Moses, on the other hand, he would just happily sink to the bottom. He's like, Oxygen, let me, let me check I was down here. And I'd snatch him up, right? here's the point, church. God never takes his arms out from underneath you. He never takes his arms out from underneath you, but there are times that he doesn't let you feel his arms underneath you for purposes and reasons that he doesn't give us all And so even though sin hasn't happened, God has allowed something to happen that has made the psalmist utterly desperate. Something has happened that has caused them to no longer feel God anymore. Look at verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Something has happened, right? That would cause his enemies to say, where is your God? They're taunting him all day long. It says they're saying, huh, where's your God now? Something has happened. I thought you said he's all powerful and good and wise and that he loves you. If he's all that, then why would he let this happen to you now? The questions aren't just coming from the outside, are they? Something has happened that's making you question. The psalmist himself is asking in verse nine, God, why have you forgotten me? And so there's... No hidden, unrepentant sin in your life. You're genuinely trying to walk with Jesus, but you still get the diagnosis. But still, tragedy strikes. But still, you feel a sadness that just won't lift. And it's all leading you to question, why, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting me go through this? Why have you forgotten me? And so many times, because of our unrepentant sin, but sometimes, even when we're genuinely trying to live in obedience, hopelessness and despair can enter. Let me point us to one more, one more possible reason for spiritual depression that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor that turned pastor, pointed out from the text in verse three, where it says, my tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, based upon Psalm 42. And in it, he identifies verse three as symptoms of clinical depression. Clinical depression. My tears have been my food, the psalmist says, which means this person is not eating. They have no appetite for food. My tears have been my food day and night he says, which means this person is not sleeping. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that the psalmist isn't eating, he's not sleeping, and that there isn't just something spiritual going on here, but that there's something physical going on here. You see, as Christians, we have a tendency to reduce everything to the spiritual. Oh, you're going through depression. Oh, you're going through hard times. Well, you just need to pray more, right? You just need to read your Bible more. If there's sin, you need to confess your sins while the world has a tendency to reduce everything down to the physical. Oh, you're going through depression? Oh, you're having a hard time, here's some pills, right? Make no mistake, depression is always a spiritual issue. It's always a spiritual issue, but depression may not always be just a spiritual issue. When man fell in the garden, all of man fell, not just his spirit, but his physiology, fell. Chemicals that ought to be in balance are in balance no longer. And sometimes we may need to receive God's common grace of medicine for help in those times. If you break your arm, you don't say, you need to read the Bible more. You need to read the Bible more, but you also need to go see a doctor, right? After my stroke, trust me, I was praying. With my diminished vision, I was trying to read the Bible as much as I could. I dared not keep any hidden, unrepentant sin in my life. In that season of life, I was more determined than ever before to obey Jesus and walk with Jesus. But also, in that season of life, I was also more down than ever, more in despair than ever before, more depressed. For the first time I was experiencing this level of depression. And do you know what I needed? I needed medicine. My issue was spiritual, but it wasn't just spiritual. The stroke had done something physically in my brain and chemicals that I didn't need help with before. Now I needed help with. I went to my doctor who loves Jesus who's a believer, to the best of your ability. If you're going to see your doctor about this, try to see a doctor who loves Jesus, who's a believer. Someone who I knew wouldn't just thoughtlessly hand me pills. And after talking it all through with him, he prescribed me antidepressants for that season of my life. When the reason isn't just spiritual, but also physical, mercifully, we not only have a God who gives us the special grace of the gospel, but the common grace of medicine. If you're taking medicine, you don't have to feel like you're not trusting God, right? He's given you all of his grace, special grace of the gospel, common grace of medicine to help you. But if you feel like you're running to that pill first, right? know that nothing will ever get fixed unless you deal with the first issue, that is spiritual. And so these are some of the possible causes for spiritual depression. It's not exhaustive, obviously, but here are some of the major and common causes. And so in times like these, when we've lost our hope in God, right? You're like, I've lost it. I don't, I'm hopeless. How can we hope again in The call to hope again in the Bible assumes that you've lost hope in him. The Bible is teaching us this is going to be a common condition of the believer in this world. We're just gonna over and over again go through things where we lose hope in God. And so it doesn't abandon us in the hopelessness, but it calls us to hope again, but how? To try to make it helpful and memorable as possible. Let me point us to three ways. All starts with the letter P. I didn't even have to try that hard, it's all in the text. How do we again hope in God? Three ways, we pray, we preach, and we praise. We're called to pray to God, we're called to preach to ourselves, to yourself and praise with the church. First we're called to pray to God. Look at the text, verse six. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. Therefore, I remember you, he says. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to God, right? He's praying to God. And look at what he's praying in verse seven Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waters. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's saying, I'm being crushed here, God, and I feel like I'm drowning here, God, as wave after wave is crashing over me. But what is He acknowledging? He's saying, They're your waterfalls that's crushing me. He's saying, They're your waves that are drowning me. He's acknowledging God's complete and absolute sovereignty, and he's refusing to find comfort by saying God had nothing to do with it. God has nothing to do with this. He is showing us it is no true relief to the Christian to say God doesn't rule over the wind and the waves. The hard and painful things in my life, God had nothing to do with them. There's no relief in that, Christian. Do you want to live in a world like that? where wave after wave is crashing down on you and God has no control over it, there is no relief in that. The psalmist is refusing to say, just because I don't understand what's going on here doesn't mean God doesn't understand. Just because I can't think of a good reason for why this is happening in my life doesn't mean God doesn't have a really good and wise reason. He's refusing to surrender God's sovereignty and he's refusing to surrender God's wisdom and his goodness. He continues to pray in verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer, a prayer to the God of my life. He prays, no, I don't understand. I don't understand all the hows, and the wise, but, but, I do know this, that ultimately, that ultimately, what you're doing here is God, all these waves that are crashing over me, you're commanding your steadfast love over my life, that's what you're doing. And at night, he says, your song is with me. What is he saying? He doesn't feel God. But he's saying, and now your song is with me. This is reality. I might feel something, but this is the reality. Your song is with me. And when he prays a prayer to the God of my life, he's saying, you're not doing this to kill me and do me harm, but you're doing this to keep me and give me life. He's fighting here, right? Do you believe that, church? The wind and the waves in your life, how do you deal with them? How do you deal with them? Are you able to deal with them by saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. But God, you understand. You're in control over the wind and the waves. And I trust you, God, that you're ultimately doing this because you're commanding your steadfast love over my life. He's praying a lot of theologically true things that he's thinking here, isn't he? But, but, he's not holding back what he's feeling in prayer. Even though it may not be theologically true, even though his feelings may not be theologically true, nevertheless, he's praying them. His prayer is intermingled with truth and raw honesty of his emotions, of how he feels. Let me show you. He prays, God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Has God forgotten him? No, he hasn't. This is a theologically wrong statement, so why is he praying it? Because that's what he's feeling. And he's telling it all to God. Without holding anything back, he's pouring out his soul to God in prayer. When we lose hope and when we're in despair, it's not that we lose all theological truths that we once knew. In our minds, we still know that God loves us and we remember the Bible verses, right? That God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This too, God is using. It's just that we have this other thing. Not just the theological truths, but the raw feelings of, God, you've forgotten me. The undeniable feelings of, God, you've left me. I needed you and you abandoned me. I love you, but you don't even care about me. We're seeing the psalmist here pouring out both. Pouring out everything. And that's the invitation that God is giving us through Psalm 42. He's saying, child, tell me everything. Tell me everything. Don't hold back. All that you're thinking, everything that you're feeling, I can take it. I can handle it. When we're in pain and in turmoil, God so sympathizes with our pain. He so sympathizes with our, with our weaknesses that he would rather have our theologically wrong prayers than our no prayers. Sometimes you feel like you can't talk to him because you're like, I can't tell him these things. Like, no, it's not true. So what does it ultimately do? Keeps you from talking to him, right? But he's saying, child, tell me everything. True or not, I'll deal with it. I will help you. And so first we need to pray to God. But what else do we see the psalmist doing? We see him not just talking to God, but talking to himself. In a sense, preaching to himself. He does it in verse five, and again in verse 11, they're identical. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Who is he talking to here? Who is he telling hope in God? Who is he telling that he will again praise God? He's telling himself, right? As though he were two men, Charles Spurgeon said. He pulls himself together and again regains his composure and preaches to his own soul. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments on this verse and he says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What does he mean by that? He means that throughout our day, we're listening to the ceaseless thoughts of our internal selves. Thoughts that say, God has forgotten you. Thoughts that say, God doesn't love you. How could he possibly love you? And so in order to break this cycle of us only listening to ourselves, you have to preach to yourself. You have to say, so? You sure have been talking? Now shut up. It's my turn. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that you have to be willing to turn on yourself. You have to be willing to upbraid yourself, chide yourself, exhort yourself, preach to your own soul, and say, I know you're in despair, oh, my soul. I know. I know you've lost your hope. But hope again. But hope again in God for you will again praise him. My salvation and my God. Don't just listen to yourself. You have to preach to yourself. So we see the psalmist praying to God, preaching to himself. And one more. We see him praise, praise with the church. Or more precisely, we see him remembering the times that he did. Verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of my God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. What's the psalmist doing here? In our context, he's remembering all the Sundays. He's remembering all the Sundays. He's recounting all the worship services he was a part of where with glad shouts and songs of praise, he got to worship God together with God's people. What does church worship services have to do with fighting to hope in God? What does this have to do with fighting to hope in God when we become hopeless? Just about everything. Just about everything. I was listening to a Pastor John Piper sermon on this text. And he said that many of us who grew up in church participating in worship services, we grew up with such a shallow view of what's happening right here in this moment when we gather together as God's people to worship him. Sunday after Sunday. Why are we here, church? Why are you here? Why don't we sleep in today and go to brunch? What are we doing here in this room? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're saying, God, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Though my heart fails sometimes in trusting in you, though my flesh fails sometimes in trusting you and in believing you, right now I'm here. Right now I'm here with your people, together with your people to declare to you, you, God, are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. That's what we're doing here. Why are we here? Like Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, where else are we gonna go? You alone have the words of That's why we're here. And when that happens, our God who has promised to inhabit, he says, inhabit the praises of his people, keeps that promise, then somehow, in some way, more real than at other times, is right here with us. Do you believe that, church? God is here with us now if he's not here, he's not a promise-keeping God. He's here with us right now, and because our God actually meets with us, that's why, I don't know about you, but that's why I can with all honesty and full conviction say, some of the greatest changes for good in my life has happened right here, sitting with you, singing with you, worshiping with you, This is the place where over and over again, God's word pierces my heart and I repent of my sins. This is the place where over and over again, the Holy Spirit softens my heart and has brought healing to my marriage. And this is the place when I've been down and in despair, your songs, they cascade over me and my soul is lifted. This is the place with you. Church, if God were not here, all of this would just be dead religious tradition that has no meaning, that has no power. But because God is actually here with us, moving, speaking, and working, don't you know that people pass from death into life in this room? People get saved in this room. Eternities get changed in this room. Don't you know that you're made strong and made to endure the hardest of things in life in this room? And don't you know, church, that the work that God starts in you today in this room is not just for today, but is working in you, is bearing fruit in you over 10 years, over 20 years from now, keeping you, enduring you, and serving you to hope again in him when you think you've lost all hope. That's the power. That's the miracle of our gathering together to worship God. And that's why the psalmist is saying, God, I remember. I'm going to remember the work that you started in me on all those Sundays. And because you have promised, you're God who promises to complete that good work that you've started in me, I know. I know I'm going to hope again. I know I'm going to praise you again. And in closing, Why should we praise him? In the midst of the turmoil and such despair, why is he deserving of not just my worship, not just your worship, but our gathered together worship? Why is he worthy of this Sunday after Sunday? Because he didn't withhold his son. He gave his son, his only son for us. And because when Jesus came into the world, he was known as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with our griefs, with the cross before him. When we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane say, my soul, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. We see that Jesus came into this world and he didn't exempt himself from our griefs and our sorrows. No matter what grief you're going through today, no matter how desperate your sorrows, you have in Jesus someone who says, I know, I know what you're going through. He didn't exempt himself from such pain. He went through it all to the extent to which you and I will never taste. You wanna talk about a turmoil caused by the physical? Jesus' hands and his feet were nailed to wood, rusty iron nails, tearing through the tenderest of nerves. Think about the despair. Think about the pain. You want to talk about panting for breath? To catch the slightest breath, he had to push up with his feet, using the nails as leverage, as his lashed-up back, 40 times scraped against that rugged cross. You want to talk about a despair caused by sin? Having never known sin, he became sin for us. Having never known wrath, he had to drink all of it. You want to talk about a spiritual depression? Having eternally never known separation from his father, he was forsaken by his father. He felt God's utter abandonment as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to cry out, my God, why have you forgotten me? God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? You see, at times and in seasons, we may feel forsaken by But Jesus was the one who was truly forsaken by God. We may feel cast down, but he was struck down. And when you tell yourself, self, listen, I know you feel forsaken right now. But it's just the feeling. It's not reality. Because Jesus was forsaken for me, you can know that you will never be forsaken. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. And if the psalmist was able to say, hope in God before the cross of Christ, how much more can we say to ourselves, hope in God after the cross? If the psalmist was able to say, I will again praise him before the cross, how much more can we say, I will again praise him, I will again hope in him, my salvation and my God after the cross? So let's do just that as we pray and as we worship God together. Father, we lay ourselves bare before you. Church, in the best way you know how in this moment will you pour out your soul to God. Tell him the truths that you know. His sovereignty, his rule, and his reign, his wisdom, his goodness, his kindness. Tell him the truths that you know about it. But also don't hold back all the things that you feel. But God still I feel lost. But God still I don't know what to do. But God still I don't feel like you see me. Knowing that you're praying to the one who knows. Who knows all those feelings? Who knows what it's like to ask all those questions in despair? And then will you, in faith, in this moment, say to yourself, Hope in God. Soul. Hope in him. Again, I will praise him. Help us, Father. Thank you for Jesus. In his name that we pray.